This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Hill. So, it's been a very dramatic week in the Conservative Party and today, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has made his first comments talking about it. Here's what he had to say. And look, when it, when it comes to uh, you know, honours and, and Boris Johnson, look, Bo- Boris Johnson asked me to do something that I wasn't prepared to do because I didn't think it was right. Uh, that was to you know, either overrule the HOLAC committee or to make promises with people. Now, I, I wasn't prepared to do that. As I said, I didn't think it was right. And if people don't like that, then tough. Katie, what did you make of the, the Prime Minister giving his opinion about what's happened here? I think it's Rishi going into fighting mode in the sense it's the most direct rebuke we've had from Rishi Sunak of Boris Johnson. In those comments, he is explicitly saying Boris Johnson asked him to do something he is not comfortable doing, the implication being when we get into the technicalities of this resignation on this, which, which is what sparked a whole series of events, which means Rishi Sunak is currently facing free by-elections that could be very painful, is the fact that Nadine Doris uh, was not present on that list in its final form. Liz said to her quitting. Boris Johnson and his team claimed that he was misled by Downing Street over it. Rishi Sunak is saying that um, HOLAC, which is the House of Lords vetting, did not put Nadine Doris on the list. That's a matter of HOLAC. And he he was not willing to override Holak and he was also not willing to make a promise to put promises to people, which I think if we read between the lines there, that is saying he was not willing to promise certain mm. MPs who had been promised peerages by Boris Johnson that he would put them on a list of peerages later down the line, more in line with when an MP would stand down ahead of the next election. So that is Richard Stone saying he wouldn't overrule and he also wouldn't do a backroom deal. Now, there are some MPs I've spoken to over the weekend who think Rishi Sunak should have done a backroom deal. Okay. It's politics. Politics is grubby. If that avoids some of the political pain and Tory infighting spilling out into the open, they think that is a, a price worth paying. But I think what's interesting from Rishi Sunak's comments today is it's quite clear that he now has, I think, A, had it in the sense of if Boris Johnson just causing damage and decided to no longer go for the softly, softly approach. He's calling him out on it. But secondly, uh, a situation in which he almost is seeing there was a political win to be had from looking different to Boris Johnson. He is saying in his comments, well, I wasn't comfortable doing that and I want to do things differently. And I've said I'm going to lead a different type of government, which is a not very subtle way of saying, uh, look at the comments I made first time on outside number 10 as prime minister, a government of integrity, uh, words that are constantly thrown back at him Mm -hmm. in any scenario. But I'm going to prioritise that over trying to appease Boris Johnson, partly because I think he's learning how hard it is to appease Boris Johnson. James, at one point over the weekend, when Nigel Adams had become the third Tory MP to resign, it did look like perhaps a Tory civil war was reigniting. But the pace has slowed down since Mm -hmm. then. Do you think with these comments today from Rishi Sunak that actually he's managed to head off a rebellion by Boris Johnson because the party is just so fed up? I think that number 10 will be aware of polling and, and focus groups which show that the issue does come up of you know, Rishi Sunak's predecessor and whether he looks weak or not in compared to Boris Johnson. So I think there's perhaps a political win here uh, in terms of 
Rishi Sunak's being perceived to stand up to Boris Johnson on this issue. A similar thing perhaps we've seen with Keir Starmer in recent years, you know, you get a sort of political win out of kicking your predecessor. And I do think that you know, the reason that Boris Johnson at the end of the day lost the premiership last year was because most MPs just simply had given up on him and, and saw no electoral asset there. Uh, so I think perhaps that's the calculation going on here. What I would say over the over the weekend also, what we've really only seen is, is three MPs come out, Boris Johnson, Nigel Adams and Nadine Dorries. And already Nigel Adams on Sunday night put out a much more conciliatory statement on LinkedIn, an interesting choice of social media platform perhaps, in which he was sort of explaining and much more, striking a much more conciliatory tone. I do think that sort of talking to MPs and people around the party, there isn't that sense of a kind of drumbeat that we saw in 2018-19, partly because what is the cause to rally behind? Is it Brexit's done, in inverted commas? You know, is it going to be the high taxes that Boris Johnson himself raised? Is it going to be the free trade deal that he was unable to strike? Or is it just simply a question of patronage and loyalty to Boris Johnson? And as we've seen, and that's been tested to destruction in the last few years. And it was quite funny looking at that list, if you go back to Friday night, of um, the things that Boris Johnson was attacking Rishi Sunak for not doing. Because on the UK-US trade deal, for example, mm. I mean, if we go back to Liz Truss and Boris Johnson... During his early time in Number 10, Number 10 spent a lot of time trying to contain, stop Liz Truss from saying lots of things about a UK-US trade deal because Boris Johnson's team thought it was politically poisonous if you end up in a conversation about chlorinated chicken and they were playing down the prospect of one. Now, it may be that that was obviously the first iteration of Boris Johnson's government and that first team and they no longer represent his views now. But it does just you know add to the sense of, OK, so, so we've changed, we've moved the goalposts again. And actually, on uh, retained EU law, which was another part, say, you know, of the the problems with this current government, it was only under Liz Truss that they actually really sped up the targets for EU retained law. It was a drive that she speeded up. Um, the timetable was different when it was Boris Johnson. So, so you see all these things, and I mean, it doesn't make such a difference. But I think the reason I bring it up is not to go on some kind of rant about why Boris Johnson isn't saying what he means in these things. They are just being noticed by MPs. Like I've had ministers point out, I've had former ministers, I've had people who tend to be quite pro Boris Johnson, Mm. you know, saying, well, problem is he's had plenty of time there and therefore it's a hard cause to get behind again and there's been lots of talk of more MPs could go and more MPs could spark by elections frenzied talk over the weekend now it could still happen but I think what is notable is the number of MPs who have come out to say well they're not they're not referring to me Nadim Zahavi being one of them you know I'm staying put so there's lots of people who uh, I think we can say at least are actually trying to distance themselves from what is starting to look a bit kamikaze from the sense of the the major party in terms of those next steps. Now, Boris Johnson, of course, I think will continue to be an influential figure within the Tory party. There just isn't this um, great appetite or movement, I think, of people getting behind. It's still a headache for Rishi Sunak. It's just one that he... I think it just it disrupts in terms of governing. And I think the big problem he has now is the parliamentary party is still largely behind Rishi Sunak, but we have three very painful by-elections coming up. And that just does set the narrative. It does change the tone. So even if it doesn't lead to a movement behind Boris Johnson, if there are three Tory losses before the summer recess, that boosts Labour and it allows those critics to say, well, Rishi Sunak doesn't have much electoral power. 
And James, just looking ahead to those by-elections, um, tell us how safe they are and how, will, will they be safe in the coming by-elections? Sure. So there's you know, three by-elections, Uxbridge and Ryslip, which is the Boris Johnson's uh, constituency. That's about 7,000 or so majority. Uh, I think you'd expect on current trends that to go Labour next time. And Labour were mounting a, a big push there in 2019, but uh, it sort of went back given the landslide towards the Tories. Then you've got Mid-Bedfordshire. I think that's the best chance the Conservatives have of keeping that. That's 24,000 majority. Against that, they did not They did lose half their councillors in Central Bedfordshire Council the last uh, local elections last month and then there's the um, Nigel Adams Selby constituency which has been broken up and there the boundary changes are less favourable to the Conservatives so I think there's a very good chance I mean you could see on current trends uh, you know all three potentially given the experience of things like North Shropshire uh, given Cheshire and Amersham mm-hmm. given uh, Honiton and Tiverton the by-elections in recent years you have seen an improvement to the Lib Dem and Labour by-election machines so there could be a case of all three going to opposition parties but odds on I think the best chance are that the, the Conservatives might retain mid-Bedfordshire at the current trends. And finally, James, today we've also seen the CCHQ's shortlist for the candidates for London Mayor. It's upset a few people because some of the people who expected to be on that list weren't on that list. Yes, so we've got the shortlist of three, which are Susan Hall, uh, a member of London Assembly, Daniel Korski, a former special advisor, and Mazamal Hussain KC, a complete unknown as far as I can tell. No one had heard of the third one. And I think there's a sort of, with the list that came out over the weekend, they were cutting it down from sort of nine or so candidates down to these three. And the the big news, I think, is that uh, Samuel Kamusu, who was a former number 10 SPAD, who was seen by some as a front runner, was not included. Paul Scully, MP, who's covered the London brief as a minister the last three years, didn't make the, the cut. So I think really there's a sense of, on paper in some ways, it, it looks very un- unappetising running as a London, a London Tory. But also you think last time Sean Bailey was seen, I think, as an underwhelming candidate, and yet he was able to get within 5-6% of beating Sadiq Khan. So perhaps there's some who are suggesting to me that, you know, it, it's not really so much about being the pro-Tory brand, it's more about just trying to defeat Sadiq Khan and a referendum on, on Sadiq Khan, really. So by keeping the party label out of it so much, there could be some mess in that. But it's just interesting, I think, it also shows that, once again, Paul Scully not making it through, there is a lot, a lot of people who don't want to have a minister and a potential by-election on that uh, list as a result of it. And Katie, you, Fraser and Ian McWhorter did an emergency coffee house shots yesterday, the second of the weekend. Um, have you had a good weekend, Katie? It's been a great weekend, nice. yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Um, and what, what's happened in the last 24 hours then with the Nicholas Sturgeon story? I did leave my father-in-law's birthday early yesterday to do the SNP podcast. But what was nice was the taxi driver who drove me back to my flat asked me if I was going home to cover Nicholas Sturgeon. So, so he knew who was. So, it was yeah exactly oh, which was encouraging is. at least um anyway <laughs> not shouting into the void when it comes to what's happening now in the SNP row I think we have a situation in which Nicola Sturgeon has been released she had seven hours of questioning uh, has obviously voiced her distress about that now we've got to see if they if they move things forward but j- in terms of the legal investigation whether it, you know it does lead to charges something we don't know yet um but what we are seeing is members of the SNP calling for Nicola Sturgeon to ultimately step down from the party, renounce her membership for the time being. You've had Ash Reagan, who ran to be her successor unsuccessfully, and also um, one MP coming out to say this. So let's see if that grows, because Himsa Yusuf so far has obviously positioned himself as a Sturgeon loyalist. So I think it would be a hard decision for him to make. Katie and James, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. Where else can you get two emergency podcasts on a weekend? Mm -hmm.